Before we begin, please refer to the disclaimer and link in the podcast notes, and note that all opinions expressed in this podcast are intended for informational purposes only and should not be treated as investment or financial advice. Hello everyone, and welcome to your on-chain update for the 28th of December. I hope you all had a fantastic Christmas. Uh, It's one of those rare periods of time where pretty much the whole world just takes a big breather and takes a big break. Um, So hopefully you all had a great Christmas and, uh, you know, looking forward to the new year. And, uh, and whatever 2023 holds in store for us. So what I wanted to do today is a little bit, you know, we talked about this just before Christmas um, in a written article, but uh, just exploring a little bit about the, uh, the ASIC fleet um, and some of the tools that we can actually use to assess just you know, what is the overall scale of the Bitcoin mining fleet? What are some different mechanisms and, uh, and calculations we can apply? What kind of insights can we pull from it? Now, this is never going to be a perfect study because the ASIC fleet is going to be all sorts of wide and varied. There's all sorts of machines out there, um, you know, different rig types, blah, blah, blah. There's different power pricing, geographies, all the rest of it. It's a complex animal. But what we can really do is try to frame up the question, right? So as an engineer, um, we often have incomplete information. And what I would generally do, if I'm trying to do a back of the envelope calculation, I will look at my upper and lower bounds. What are the likely and unlikely scenarios? And then you can try and essentially range bound the problem. And generally speaking, that will get you within a pretty good gut feel, um, 10 to 15% of reality. So that's really what this exercise is about. Um, But also, um, as we see hash rate moving around, some really interesting dynamics happened this week. Um, We saw a very, very large cold snap come through the US and in particular through Texas. And this is where a lot of Bitcoin miners are actually located. So we saw a very, very quick and very rapid decline in hash rate. I think something like 30 odd percent of the hash rate came off um, and it has since more or less recovered or it's recovered about 50, 60, 70 percent of it. Um, I need to actually check. But nevertheless, what we're seeing is that Bitcoin mining is becoming integrated with these grids such that we actually see meaningful impact on the hash rate um, on a day-to-day basis during cold snaps. So the, the analysis of the Bitcoin mining system is becoming increasingly complex. You can't just say that hash rate down means minor stress. We actually have to rationalize what's going on at a much, much bigger level, which I find absolutely fascinating and uh, I'm looking forward to analyzing in the coming year. So anyway, what I want to touch on is uh, looking at rig counts, power consumption, rig profitability. And really, this is just to give you a feel of the sheer scale um, of, uh, of the Bitcoin mining space, what that actually means, um, how you account for these things, and uh, just some of the tools we have that you can uh, you know, re- really plug away and understand some of these dynamics. So anyway, let's get started. So right before we jump into the mining thing, what I did want to touch on, as you've probably noticed, um, this is our price chart year to date. And given we're pretty close to the end of the year, this is essentially the chaos that 2022 was. Um, I've mentioned this before, but my gut feel when I look at this chart, this looks nice and volatile. This looks less volatile. This looks less, less. And this thing here is unbelievable. We've essentially been at 16,800 for a week. It hasn't moved. It's quite remarkable to see. Um, But you can just see visually that we have declining volatility, right? Now let's whack this onto a, uh, a log scale because obviously there's percentages applied. And even with that frame of reference, when you factor in the log side of things, you can see that our moves are generally getting less and less and less volatile. So we are seeing a compression um, of that volatility. If we look at our realized volatility, um, I might actually just throw on an EMA here, seven day, just to really show you the scale of this thing. Um, the, the red curve here is our weekly. Let's actually get rid of some of these older ones. This is the actual amount of volatility um, as you would measure for stocks or any other asset. Um, we can probably actually pull this out onto an all time. You can see that the volatility we're currently seeing, the realized volatility 
is pretty much at all time lows. We just don't see this very often. Um, we saw it back here in 2018, right before the sell-off. So generally speaking, low volatility precedes higher volatility, right? So there's a bit of a mix, but uh, markets don't like to go quiet like this for very, uh, very long. Nevertheless, it is over Christmas and it's partially expected, but it's, uh, it's quite remarkable to see. And if we look at our options uh, implied volatility, you can see that this is just an all-time low, right? The market's pricing in like 31%, um, uh, 32% volatility um, over the course of the next week. Um, we're seeing very, very, a very, very strong compression of volatility. Generally, that doesn't stick around this long, so I am expecting there to be some kind of movement. Um, so just to, just get ready for that. Anyway, uh, moving on to the, uh, the ASIC fleet. So um, this is a dashboard that we recently rolled out at Glassnode, um, and it's essentially just something trying to help people understand what is going on with the rig, right? How big is the fleet? How many machines are there? So it's generally based on a fairly simple assumption. The, red, the orange curve up here we have is our hash rate, right? What are we producing? 230, 260 exahash. We know the actual for an Antminer S9. So this is a 2017, February 2017 model here in purple. We've got the S17, um, which was released in 2019. We've got the S19 Pro, which was released in May 2020. And the most um, uh, most efficient rig at the moment is the S19 XP, and it was released in October this year. Now, you can see that we've basically got from 2017 through to now, different generations. They're all ant miners, and this is just, you know, you could pick any model that you want. But if we've got 260 exahash, and the ant miner S9 has 13.5 terahash, how many devices are required to produce that hash rate, right? Now, this is an upper bound because there's going to be all sorts of other machines at the time when the S19 XP is released, for example. They haven't disseminated through the market and wiped out the competition yet. So there's going to be a couple of other rigs, older rigs that are still generating profit. There'll be some guy who's got an S19 XP and he's paying a you know, Western... Um, power price, and there'll be a guy with an S9 who's paying basically nothing um, over in the developing world. So it's never a perfect model, but as I said, we're trying to bound the problem. So for our, um, and each of these curves, by the way, you can see that the purple, the blue, the yellow, and the red, each of those different rigs, these this chart here will start at the point when that rig actually went live, just so you can kind of see the scale of things. So the S19, which is often referred to as the AK-47 of, uh, of Bitcoin mining, because it just doesn't die. It's been around for years, I mean, literally um, since early 2017. So it's seen many a market cycle. Um, and in order to generate our peak hash rate, you would have needed 19.8 million S19s. I mean, that's a stack of machinery. Now, in terms of the overall efficiency gain, the newest generation, the S19 XP, um, you need 1 million. Right, so you're talking about basically an 1819x decrease in the number of hardware required to generate our current hash power. Now, of course, that, that you know some of these rigs are going to go obsolete, and then you've obviously got hardware. But um, what you see here is that the the more efficient ASICs get, the less actual chips you actually have producing that hash power. Um, and now, obviously, they go through their different profitability cycles and so on and so forth. But you know, as you what you end up with is a very, very diverse landscape of uh, of machinery that's out there that can all operate under different pricing and power assumptions. Uh, but anyway, it's quite an interesting thing just to kind of see that 19x improvement in chip efficiency. Now, if we then say that same model, we've got X amount of rigs, um, upper bound, lower bound, how many? Um, we can then say, okay, how much power do they consume? Because we have up here our different power ratings, right? How, what's the kilowatt um, uh, demand um, per, per rig? 
So if we have all of those rigs operational, how much global power consumption is going to be going on? And what we can see here is the, S9, the S9s, because they're a much less efficient rig, are going to um, consume more power to generate the observed hash rate. The more efficient that these rigs get, the less power they consume on a global scale, right? Which is really, that's, that is the definition of efficiency. This is human innovation doing its thing. We produce more for less. This is the nature of human innovation and technology. So in terms of our overall power, if everything was running S9s right now, you would be consuming 22.3 gigawatts. Now, that's the overall power consumption of an S9 fleet. If you compare that to our S19, you're talking about 4.7. Um, I can't do the math in my head. It looks like something about 5x um, or thereabouts. So the S19 is like 5x more efficient on a global power consumption than the S9. But as we discussed before, We've got an upper bound of 22 gigawatts. The S17 and the S19, which are kind of the 2019-2020 models, that's probably more accurate because you're going to have some S19s that just landed, some S9s that are still kicking, but for the most part, the rigs are going to be kind of semi-new generation S17, S19, and they hover between about 10 and 9.7, uh, sorry, 6.7 gigawatts. So if you just took an average of those, I would expect the global power consumption to be somewhere on the order of about 8 between 10 and 8 gigawatts would be my, my gut feel. Now, fantastically, we have Cambridge, um, the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index. Um, anybody who uh, wants to understand Bitcoin power, this is the reference. This is peer-reviewed. These guys do excellent work. They've actually gone through and done the work. Um, and uh, contrary to the Digiconomist, which is a uh, just an outright scam, um, they their models deliberately are designed to uh, basically try and say that proof of work is no good, right? And uh, we know that that fight is uh, is well and alive. Now, we were saying before, I would estimate something between, just back of the envelope, calc, something between 8 and 10 gigawatts. Well, their estimated is 9.5 gigawatts. So you can see that A, our model is probably doing its job, and B, you're kind of saying, well, based on a back of the envelope calculation, we got within 10%. So it kind of shows how simple these models can be. Theoretical lower bound, um, this is based off a very, very similar type thing, which are about 4.9 or 5 uh, gigawatts, and an upper bound 14.2. Now, obviously, there's always assumptions that go into these things, power pricing and blah, blah, blah. They're complex models. It's a diverse world. But as you can see, with two different sets of assumptions and models, we can essentially generate ballpark estimates that are pretty close. So this chart is looking at the BTC earned. We're not including power or CapEx. This is purely if you owned a miner right now on each of those generations, how much BTC would you be generating per day? Now, naturally, we get these large halvening drops, right, where you get the actual issuances going down. But as you can see, these charts are essentially down and to the right. That is basically saying that no matter what you do, the amount of BTC you're going to earn from these rigs is going to continue to go down. Um, this is the nature of the beast, right? We're heading towards a 21 million hard cap. Um, some people say that that's, you know, that's an impact for security, but what a lot of people don't recognize is that the block subsidy goes to the attackers as well. So block subsidy actually doesn't provide the censorship security that people think it does. That comes only from transaction fees. And once this is a whole nother debate, but once you move into the world of transaction fees starting to dominate, which will happen by design because the subsidy will go down, um, if there is any censorship, the incentive to actually generate um, fees goes up. And also, if we think about this, and this is my very simple framework for this thing, if we go back and look at five years ago, is Bitcoin closer to being a global reserve asset now than it is five years ago? I, I think unequivocally the answer is yes. 
Um, it gets talked about in macroeconomic circles. We've got banks that are talking about it. Even though we've got all the FTX and all that guff, sure. But let's run this ball over the long arc of time. Is Bitcoin now a more... Are more people aware of it? Is the adoption higher? Are there more banks trading? Are there more investors involved? Are they going to come back eventually? Yes, 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 yes. The answer is yes to all these things. Bitcoin is much, much closer. And then the argument comes down to, is there going to be demand for the, the most secure block space on earth? And the answer is, if not, then Bitcoin fails. And then we carry on, right? But I believe that that demand will exist. Um, and if that demand for scarce block space exists, then Bitcoin will have a fee market. It kind of is that simple. It's kind of a very binary type system. Um, and I look at the long-term trajectory. Too many people look at our recent cycle and they go, oh, look, fees are low. So yeah, that's true. But at the same time, you're discounting any future progress, like full stop, that no future progress is being factored into these models and these assumptions. And I think it's a very, very, I think it's just as naive as Bitcoin is saying that there isn't a problem at all, right? There's, there, there, there could be, we, we don't know. And the market's going to sort that problem out. Anyway, that's a bit of a bit of a transgression. But anyway, what we're seeing here is that the overall earning power in BTC denomination for both of these rigs basically goes down to the right. Mining is a tough business. So now we start factoring in what is the break even, and I call this the all in, well, it's borrowed from commodities, but you may hear the all in sustaining cost, um, right? AISC, not to be confused with ASIC, ASIC, all in sustaining cost. Yeah, they're, they're similar, but not the same. Um, but anyway, what we're looking for is of all the costs, if you just do it on a per kilowatt hour consumption basis, what is the break even price um, that you would be required essentially to be mining at um, in order to, to turn a profit? Um, so the purple curve, again, is our S9, S9 rig. So in order to be profitable with an S9 right now, you need to be mining at uh, 2.57 cents per kilowatt, which is very, very cheap. Most models, if you're just doing a quick back of the envelope, use 5 cents, but that's power only. Once you factor in logistics and CapEx and all that stuff, it's probably going to get up closer to 7, 8, 12. Like that's a more realistic cost basis. Uh, sorry, um, uh, uh, all-in sustaining cost. The S19s, right? And remember, the other thing to think about is that the most efficient rig will generally represent the true. Because if there's an arbitrage opportunity, if someone can mine at 12 cents um, or 10 cents with the newest rig, they're going to put the guy who's mining at 12 cents out of business. So generally speaking, the top curve, our most efficient rig, the S19 XP, that's mining at 12.8 cents, all in sustaining cost. If you then look at the S19 Pro, which is last generation, that's at 9 cents. If I was to, if someone asked me, gun to my head, what's the kind of break-even price for the market right now to mine? I would say it'd be about ten cents. Take an average of those two, something in the order of about ten cents um, per kilowatt hour. So um, it kind of shows the level of efficiency. If you don't have two and a half cent power right now, um, your S9 is essentially not turning any profit at all. And that is what these charts are showing us. So this top one is for the S9. The one below is for the S19 XP. So the least efficient and the most efficient. What these are basically showing you is the actual um, return, the USD return um, per day coming out of those rigs under different power assumptions. So in the red, we have our 2.5 um, cents per kilowatt hour, basically the most profitable scenario, and then our 12.5, which is our least profitable scenario. And you can see here that when the purple curve drops off, it means that the S9 is no longer profitable at a 12.5 cent um, all-in sustaining cost. You can see that the green dropped out back here in 2017. The yellow dropped out here, re-emerged very, very briefly near the tops. So seven and a half cents was profitable, but only near market tops. 
Um, and then you can see here that the red, which is essentially a two and a half cent kilowatt hour um, all-in sustaining price, we lost it after the March 2020 event and then after the halving. And it was only when price broke up to the basically the majority of the bull market. But really, when we sold off following three hours capital here in June, the S9 was then basically done for. Now, on our most efficient rig, you can see that it has essentially been profitable for the entire time under all of our cost assumptions. The 12.5 cents um, per kilowatt hour has only recently, since we had our, our FTX sell-off, that has now dropped off. So that is partially the reason we're seeing that even the most profitable rigs um, under what is, you know, not, not the most profitable scenario, but um, certainly where we would kind of pitch our, you know, guesstimate of the average price to mine, all in sustaining price, about 10 cents. Um, you can see that even those newest, most efficient rigs are under stress. So it does make sense that we're getting um, stress in the mining industry. Um, and, you know, we can see this across many different metrics, which uh, it's quite interesting, actually, when you look at it from, from those different lenses. Um, and this last one here is basically, let me pull this out on the, uh, on the full scale chart. Um, what I really wanted to highlight here is just how the actual dropping out of those mining rigs um, so this is the same kind of concept, except plotting out with just a five cent per kilowatt hour, um, which is that kind of typical assumption. Um, so five cent per kilowatt hour, um, all in sustaining price. And we're looking at the different traces. Purple here is our S9, red again is our S16, uh, sorry, S19 XP. You can see here that we actually lose the S9 through post-halving period. And you can see that hash rate essentially drops off and stagnates through that period as well. Um, you can see here that we actually get when the S9s drop off as we sold off in June, we also get a hash rate drop. So you can actually see that we are getting that correlation or behavioral um, action where we get hash rate pulling back as machines actually drop out of their profitability range. Um, obviously, you can tweak the, the the price that goes into this, the power price. Um, but what we can really see is it kind of gives us a bit of a, a bit of a scope on what's going on. So anyway, hopefully that's useful. It's a little bit more kind of fundamental driven. Um, you know, we've got something on the order of 18.9 million S9s out there or one point something million um, S19s. The reality is we have a mix of both um, and they're kind of a, a spread of all, all over the place. Um, it's good for hardware diversity. These machines are going to be all over the place, different power. It's all very dynamic. But you can see that with some very, very simple tools, we can get pretty close to at least understanding what's going on in the mining space. Um, at the very least, just so we can kind of understand it from a uh, from a personal investor level, just so you've got that extra level of, uh, of understanding. Anyway, hopefully have a fantastic Christmas. Hopefully that you are looking forward to the new year and uh, I'll be getting out a series of posts uh, over coming days, particularly around self-custody, um, security. I think the holidays are a good time to just reassess where you're at with those things, especially in the post-FTX world. Um, so just going through and kind of rethinking your hardware and your your crypto and your digital security at large. Um, so there'll be a couple of posts on that vein because I think it's just a good time for that self-reflection. Um, I've spent a lot of time, especially in the, on, on my Bitcoin setup, trying to understand how I do it best um, and uh, essentially passing on whatever I can um, to help you kind of do it yourself. And as always, you can ask me any questions you want. I'm more than happy to answer. Anyway, hope you have a good, um, great week. Talk to you later. Bye.